0: In order to keep bringing you guys tons of free content, we work with brand partners who you'll hear from in this episode, including an advertisement from Zopa Bank. Welcome back to the Talk20s podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode of us in the Talk20 studio. Today, I'm joined by Francesca Psychology. With over 2.5 million followers across social media, Francesca is finally bringing her viral content into podcast form, and I am so excited for you to hear this episode. We chat about relationships, how to know if someone likes you, how to stop obsessing, how to be more attractive using psychology, and how your trauma and conscious controls your life. Of all the podcast episodes we've ever done, this is a must listen. And so if you enjoy this episode, please do share it with a friend. On with the show. Hello, Francesco. Welcome to the podcast. It's Hi. amazing to have you here. I'm so excited for this episode. I cannot even begin to tell you. I'm so excited as well. Thank you for having me. It, honestly, I absolutely adore your content. I could watch your TikToks for hours Aww. on end. You are so interesting, so fascinating, and I love the topics that you talk about. They're so related to what we talk about in Talk Twenties podcast. Like they're just so on brand. So I am excited to dive into all Thank of this you. for this. Amazing. I'm so happy to be here as well. Honestly, it's going to be fantastic. And I think what might be really nice is you giving a little bit of a backstory about how you got talking about psychology on the internet. Um, People might know that you have a little bit of an accent. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, being from (laughs) Romania and all of those kind of things? Tell us a little bit more about you first. Of course. So
1: I was born in Romania Mm -hmm. in a city called Cluj. It's in Transylvania. People know it because of all the vampires and all the castles. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) It's a really, really nice city. I recommend if you ever visit Romania to Mm -hmm. go there. And um, ever since I was about 14, 15, I was into psychology, self-development. You know, I was watching all these series about body language or the mentalist or lie to me and I was Mm -hmm. so fascinated and... I think when I was 14, I went to my first self-development course. So it was this seminar where, you know, people go on stage and talk about their problems. And then there's a psychologist that is doing work with them, like, live. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, this is fascinating. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. This is so interesting. And then I started getting into, like, Tony Robbins and... Mm -hmm. Um, He was literally like my role model back in the day. Mm -hmm. I really liked what he did and the impact and the influence he had on people. I went to see him in London. I went to the US to do a Tony Robbins camp uh, when I was like 16. Now I'm not really into that anymore, but mm. it was, I feel like, my beginning and my entrance. At the to... time, it was what
0: you were really interested in. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then I went on to study psychology in London mm-hmm. and I stayed there because I fell in love with because London. Because the UK is great, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> super different to Romania. Yeah. The mentality of people,
0: really? everything about it. Is, what, is... What's really different about it?
1: Well, first of all, when I go back to Cluj or Mm -hmm. just Romania in general, it feels like a little village compared to London. (laughs) Of course. So many cultures, so Mm -hmm. many things happening. The mentality is so different because Mm -hmm. obviously the UK, London, especially so liberal, so artsy, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be anyone, you can do anything, people will accept you. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Romania, it's more traditional, more conservative, Mm -hmm. people have... You know a very specific mindset and their own beliefs and values which are really different Mm. to
0: to the uk Mm -hmm. so you doing what you do with psychology then was that like quite not normal if you were to be in romania like is are you doing it more because you feel like you can in london or like what's the situation not at all i started in romania okay
1: so basically i started doing content Mm -hmm. around three years ago I made my first video on Instagram mm-hmm. and I had my channel for about a year on Instagram and it wasn't performing so well. I had a really bad format as well on Instagram, you know, it was landscape format. Yeah. And I was talking for like 15 minutes in front of the camera, really bad. Yeah. And then um, about two years ago, I found like I downloaded TikTok and mm-hmm. I started doing videos there and it performed really well. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of, I was still back in Romania. And then meanwhile, I moved to London. And
0: yeah, it it doesn't matter where I am. Like I'll still make the same kind of content. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk through some of the topics that you have on your platform. And we're going to talk about it in terms of a few relationships, in terms of understanding like past traumas. And I think this is going to be such a fascinating episode. I literally cannot wait. So let's start with relationships relationships okay. all start with uh going on dates and meeting people for the first time mm-hmm. um you're going on a first date how can you be more attractive to that first person that you're meeting for the first time so there are some things you
1: can do in terms of body language And it all has to do with having this kind of relaxed and confident energy about yourself. Mm -hmm. So some body language, like, let's say, tricks that you can do is, for instance, instead of staying, like, on the person, leaning back in the chair, Mm. it transmits this subconscious message that, you know, you're laid back, relaxed, you know, you're not trying too hard. Because when you're stressed out, you know, you can, you can see it in someone's body language. They're kind of contracted, shrink down. And something else you can do is like take up more space, mm-hmm. you know, uh, lean back in the chair, have uh, relaxed body language, like worm body language, you know, gesture with your hands when you talk Mm -hmm. another thing is actually talking more slowly because when you're stressed out and anxious you'll talk really fast and you'll you know talk so guilty of that yeah yeah no same you know Mm -hmm. when I'm stressed out I talk really fast but it actually transmits this message that I don't deserve to have someone else's time and to be listened to Mm -hmm. and you know, when you talk slowly, when your body language is, you know, more relaxed in general, it just transmits a lot of confidence and self-assurance. It's like that movie In Time with Justin Timberlake. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, that's a great film. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the people that were that were more rich were more, like, relaxed and slow with what they did, and the people that were poor were, like... Um, super fast, you know, kind of jerky with their moves because they're they're always running. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's a good analogy. You know, when you're like confident, self-assured, like you take your time. Mm -hmm. You feel like you
0: deserve for people to listen to you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So do you think it's possible to do some certain things to make people fall in love with you more? Like, (laughs) do you think that's possible? So I need to start with this. Not everyone
1: is going to love you. So, you know, this idea that you can make anyone love you, it's a myth. Mm -hmm. Anyone that says that is, you know, just talking BS because it's not possible. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be Angelina Jolie, Brett Pete, the most alpha male out there. You're still not going to make everyone love you Mm -hmm. because, first of all, not everyone is capable of love. You know, some Mm. people are just not able to open up and receive or give love or be in a relationship. Different people have different types, you know, like maybe I had a mother or a father that was more strict or I don't know, harsh or aggressive. So I will go for that kind of people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So other people will go for a more relaxed, chill vibe. And it's never personal. Like my type doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with my past experiences, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, understanding that you're not going to make everyone love you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. But then it kind of tails in with what I was saying earlier. It's going to sound like a cliche, but it's true. When you are confident about who you are, when you accept who you are, and I feel, I feel like this is the biggest mistake people make. They think they have to be someone else to be loved. Mm. You know, they see on social media, in movies, oh, girls that get the boys are, I don't know, they have big lips or a certain body type, mm-hmm. or you have to be mean, or you have to be alpha, whatever that means, you know, like you have to be different than who you are. And doing all of that kind of transmits the message, I feel like I'm not good enough, so I'm trying to be someone else. And people feel it. Mm -hmm. People are not stupid. Even, you know, from the way you do your nails, people can subconsciously tell that you're trying hard and you feel like you're not good enough. You know, a lot of girls will do their nails, I don't know, white, because they know boys like it, right? Mm -hmm. And whereas you should do your nails white or red or blue or whatever, because you like it, because you feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just accepting yourself, accepting your flaws as well, not only your positive traits, but, you know, if you have anxiety or if you feel bad, you know, admitting it, owning it. And this self-assurance and self-confidence, and just accepting who you are is so magnetic and it pulls people in like a magnet because most people will not do it. Most people will try to be different, especially in their twenties, especially when they're younger, they feel like they have to be someone else. Whereas being yourself and owning yourself is the most attractive thing and will will pull people Mm -hmm. in.
0: A quick note from our sponsors, Zopa Bank, home of the smart saver. I don't know about you, but I'm getting FOMO from seeing everyone have the best time at festivals, seeing their favorite artists. So I'm getting ahead for next year. I'm trying to put a bit of fun into my savings by creating a savings pot in my Zopa Bank smart saver and titling it with one of my dream artists that I wanna see. Then whenever I hear one of their songs playing, I add one pound to the pot. This time next year, I should hopefully have enough to go and see them live. You can get started with a Zopa smart saver with just one pound. You must be aware that the longest notice period for a boosted interest pot is 95 days in exchange for the highest rate. Interest is paid monthly and is subject to variation. Absolutely. You mentioned a little bit there about people having different types. Mm. Um, What do you think the people that you're attracted to says about you? Like, Do you Mm. think that there's a certain reason why we might be really interested in this person or that person?
1: Absolutely. You know, there are 8 billion people on this planet and you choose that specific one. Mm -hmm. It's not by chance. Yeah. You know, there are studies that show that people like kids that have alcoholic parents will tend to go for alcoholic partners, will tend to marry alcoholic partners. Mm -hmm. It's not by chance. It's because in their childhood, they learned to parent their own parents so then they go on, they take on this role of the caretaker or caregiver um, in their adult life, and they choose partners they need to parent, whether they're alcoholics or have other needs that mm-hmm. are similar. So there are certain, like, stereotypes that work as the rule of thumb. Obviously, they don't always apply. But for instance, um, if you go for people that are older or just more mature in general. You you know, you see these big age gaps sometimes, 20-year-old with a 40-year-old or 30 and 50. Um, It usually means that the younger person is looking for a parent, is looking for someone to take care of them. They're still stuck in the child role. So let's say I'm a girl, I go for a guy that is much older than me, I'm still trapped in the little girl role. I'm still looking for someone to take care of me because I probably have unsatisfied childhood needs. You know, maybe I didn't receive enough love from my parents or I'm just stuck in the little girl role or the princess role because that's how my dad raised me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I will go for that kind of people. Whereas if you go for people that are younger or just more immature, Um, It ties back to what I was saying about the alcoholic parents, you know, like you're looking to take care of someone. Maybe you were taking care of your siblings, you know, you were the caregiver in your family or even of your own parents. You used to do that in your childhood and you kind of take on this role and you learn that this is how you will feel needed. This is how you will receive love from other people. Mm So you will go on in your adult life and choose people that are more immature or much younger so you can take care of them. Mm-hmm. If you go for people that are unavailable, for instance, like either they're in relationships or they're in another country or, you know, it's just there is a barrier between you two and you you just can't be together, Right. Consciously, you'll say, oh, my God, this is so annoying. I wish we could have been together. But again, you didn't choose them by chance. Unconsciously, maybe you are actually afraid of commitment. And with this kind of people, you can never fully commit, Mm -hmm. you know, like if they're in a relationship or abroad. And, you know, maybe you're scared of opening up, of vulnerability, of being in a relationship, you have your own commitment issues. So unconsciously you go for someone that you can never be with because that's the only person you can actually get comfortable with opening up Mm. because there is that wall that can't really let you fully get vulnerable, if that
0: makes sense. So interesting. And I can see how like all of that could come together. And I think a lot of people, you know, it's not gonna be the same for every single situation Absolutely. and like, and all those kinds of, there will be anomalies and where that isn't the case, but you can definitely see how the unconscious like co- comes through in kind of the conscious decisions that we make, the partner that we choose, the jobs that we mm-hmm. choose, where we live, all of these kind of things. There's so much going on underneath the surface that we can't even begin to describe how much the unconscious has an impact on everything in our life, right? Exactly.
1: It rules most of our life. Mm -hmm. Most of the things we do are unconscious. They're on autopilot. Very few decisions are actually conscious. We make them consciously. The partners we choose, you know, how we behave. It's all things that we learned in our childhood, in our past. Beliefs that are so old, you know, they could go back to when you were five years old and you're still doing the same things or thinking the same way
0: that you did when you were five Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. going back to the date conversation then because we started talking about dating and how (laughs) to be more attractive on dates but sometimes it's really hard to tell if someone is actually interested in you or you might think that they are but like Mm -hmm. are they actually really interested in us so how would you know the telltale signs of if someone actually likes you
1: Mm-hmm. So you make a good point there because there is a distinction between, you know, people that are just attracted to you or have a crush on you, mm-hmm. you know, which shows certain signs. Like for men, usually they take up more space to assert dominance. Mm-hmm. Women will play with their hair, for instance, or necklace to kind of um, make themselves more attractive. Again, usually unconsciously or For instance, you can tell if the person you like enters the room and you, you know, kind of adjust your body position is because there's a chemical, emotional reaction going on inside of you. So that kind of manifests in your body language. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though you might ignore the person, you're still like kind of, you know, you were a bit disturbed by what is going on or you're just influenced by, by what's going on. But even if you do all of these things... Could mean that that person is attracted to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean they really really like you or want to spend the rest of their life with you they could just mean it could just mean that they want to sleep with you for instance mm-hmm. yeah um, some signs that could tell that someone is actually interested in you you know like they see you in a serious way is um You know, things like they remember small details about you, they take a real interest in your life, um, they text you or call you every day asking about your days. You know, it's these little simple things. A big one is making compromises. So, for instance, making time to see you even when it's not convenient for them. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm so busy, I can't see you. But someone that really, really likes you, even when they have a busy period, they will still make time to see you. They will still make compromises to see you because they really like you. And that's Mm -hmm. how it works. Even if they're in their exam period or whatever, they will still make time to see you. Um, Another one, for instance, if you're at the beginning of dating a person, is the the fact that they're prepared to wait for intimacy, and here is not just because they respect your boundaries and they don't only care about sleeping with you, they actually want to form an emotional connection with you. Um, it's also because real healthy intimacy takes time. An emotional connection takes time. You know, when you sleep with someone right away, you are forcing intimacy, and you're either doing it because you're completely disconnected emotionally, or you're forcing it, and it's just not healthy. So if someone is, you know, taking their time to get to know you, because they really want to know, is this person compatible with me? Is this person good, you know, good for me to be in a relationship with? You can tell, okay, this person is serious. They don't just want to like sleep around, or they're just attracted to me physically
0: you know like waiting for intimacy is a big thing as well really interesting i think it, it can feel like a minefield. I know from like, a you know, I've been in a long-term relationship, but I have a lot of friends close to me that, in fact, nearly all of my friends close to me are single. Mm-hmm. So I hear all these stories like all the time. And yeah. it is really interesting to understand that there's actually like quite a lot of like psychology that goes on to, you know, how we all kind of behave in all different kinds of situations mm-hmm. and how we can actually understand our brains a little bit more and how we behave to then kind of impact decisions like choosing a partner going on Mm -hmm. dates and who we should sleep with and who we shouldn't sleep with so it's absolutely fascinating but sometimes there might be a situation where you really 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 want someone to like you you really (laughs) want them to like you because you like them so much and you can imagine a whole future together and you think it's going to be absolutely amazing Mm. but you understand you learn to understand that they don't feel the same way Mm -hmm. how on earth do we stop obsessing about that person (laughs) because we've all been there right Yes. I've been there myself several (laughs) times. (laughs) I think I'm the right
1: person to talk on this because I had so many experiences with this and there are more aspects to it. So I think the first thing you need to understand is that many times when you're obsessing over someone, you're not obsessing over a real person. You're obsessing over the fantasy or an ideal Mm -hmm. of a person. Like it's, it's mostly your imagination. It's mostly, you know, someone you put on a pedestal and you don't see them as a normal human being for who they truly are. You see them ima- you see them as this unicorn. So here it's really important that you start seeing them as a flawed human being. You know, they fart and poop as well, like (laughs) everyone else. And they have a lot of flaws as well. They Mm -hmm. have insecurities. They're not perfect as you portray them in your mind. Then a lot of times um, when you're obsessing over someone, it might be because you're not necessarily obsessing over that person, but over who they represent to you. So, for instance, let's say you are a really good guy or a really good girl that maybe is a bit repressed, you know, will not um, express their anger or will not tell people to fuck off. You're, you know, the nice girl, the nice guy, um, and you're very repressed. Maybe you're not you don't have as many friends, you're not really going on adventures. It might be obsessing over someone that is kind of the opposite of you, you know, a bad girl or a bad boy or someone that has a bunch of friends or goes on adventures because they kind of represent, let's say, your shadow. So there's a whole thing in psychology is called shadow work, uh, which says, you know, you're attracted to parts in yourself that you repress or things that you lack. You know, so internally you might be craving to tell people to fuck off or Mm -hmm. to express your anger unconsciously, you know, consciously you'll say, no, it's not good to say things like that. Don't be mean, always be kind, da-da-da-da-da. But you'll be attracted to people that are mean or Mm -hmm. arrogant or, you know, are like the bad kind of guy, girl, or people that have a lot of friends or go on adventures or do crazy things because you don't. Mm -hmm. And here, it's important that you start integrating some of these things Integrating your shadow, it's if we talk about the shadow is a bit deeper and more psychological, but it's, you know, things like start expressing yourself more, you know, maybe put some boundaries with people. Stop being so nice. See what exactly do I like in that person that I'm obsessing over? What is it about them specifically? You know, some people say, oh, it's the cuddles or it's the blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you can get cuddles from anyone. Yeah. What specifically about that person are you obsessing over? And try to integrate those things in your life. Is it the fact that they go on adventures? Start going on more adventures. Start creating a group of friends. Start creating that confidence or that charm or that charisma that you really like in another person. Sometimes you're obsessing over someone's life, not you know who they are as a person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another thing when it comes to obsession, there are so many elements and aspects to obsession. We could I can talk about it. Yeah. But, we uh, do about a whole this podcast for, on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do a whole podcast on it. Another element is um, the trauma that comes with it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you're obsessing over people that will like touch your trauma. So for instance, a lot of people don't feel good enough or don't think they're worthy of love. So they will go for people that they see as superior to them or people that reject them because it triggers and touches their trauma. And so they start obsessing, not over that person, but they kind of try to validate themselves by weaning over that person. They kind of try to gain validation and prove to themselves that they are good enough, that they are lovable. And they tell themselves, if I'm going to conquer this person, I'm finally going to be good enough because maybe my mom was emotionally unavailable and, you know, made me feel like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy of love. And so I'll go for someone that kind of reminds me of that childhood trauma of my mom, you know, just as an example. And if I win that person over, I will be worthy. It's a trap. Obviously, it doesn't work a lot of times, like even if you do conquer or win over that person that rejected you or made you feel like you're not good enough in the first instance, the moment you get with them, you lose interest. You're like, you're obsessing, you get them and then Mm -hmm. you're not interested anymore. Happens so many times, you know, you see like uh, the chaser or the hunter stereotype uh, when it gets its prey, like Mm -hmm. they lose complete interest because it was never about the person. It was kind of your own trauma and you trying to gain validation Mm -hmm. and so on.
0: You mentioned there the word trauma, and I think it's something that we don't often talk about enough. Um, but also in your content, you talk a lot about the, the trauma responses that you might not realize are actually trauma responses. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Absolutely. So there are so many behaviors that we do on a day to day basis that people think are absolutely normal when actually they come from trauma and they're not healthy at all. Um, One very common one is perfectionism. So, you know, you might think, oh, why not? Like always trying to achieve perfection or do things the right way is good, right? But perfectionism usually leads to a lot of procrastination. It stops you from acting, from starting a business, starting a project, just doing things in general because you try to make them perfect and obviously they can never be perfect. And um, it usually comes from your childhood where a childhood where you were criticized, for instance, or you weren't allowed to make mistakes. Um, You know, you go back to school, right, to primary, middle school, you weren't encouraged to make mistakes you were punished or you know you weren't allowed to so you learn that okay making mistakes is bad and this is a big mistake that the education system makes Mm -hmm. and it creates this generation of people that are afraid to take risks that are afraid to act and the solution for this is to actually start consciously making mistakes. Start putting yourself in new situations, new environments where you don't know what to do or you make mistakes. So you can kind of show your mind and your brain that it's okay. You know, I'm allowed to make mistakes. It doesn't decrease my self-worth. So that's about perfectionism. Then another common behavior is cutting people off at the smallest mistake you will say, oh no, that's called putting boundaries or I'm respecting myself. It's good to cut people off when they make a mistake and it's not, (laughs) it's not healthy. And it's again, it comes from a trauma response. It's a defense mechanism because usually when you feel like you're not in control of the situation of your feelings, um, you will feel like this sense of urgency to act to cut someone off, to block them, to do something so you regain control over your emotions. And most people regret it like almost instantly. And it's very detrimental to their relationships. It's not healthy, it's not called putting boundaries. Um, So here it's important that you actually take a step back, think a little bit, you know, before you react kind of delay this response that you have on autopilot. Um, Besides this, another really um, usual trauma response that most people have is, that a lot of people have is emotional monitoring. So you're constantly kind of scanning the environment. Let's say I'm talking to you And at some point during the conversation, you sigh or, I don't know, you look another way. And I start overanalyzing. Oh, does she hate me? Did I say something wrong? Oh, she's not interested. You know, like you start creating all these negative scenarios. You start catastrophizing and so Mm -hmm. on. And this is because in your childhood, you were probably like walking on eggshells or you were in an environment where... You, your household, your mom, your parents were unpredictable. You never knew what to expect. So you become hypervigilant and you're kind of learning to anticipate any kind of danger and changes in your, in your environment. So you can like protect yourself or, you know, it's a protection mechanism. Mm -hmm. And here it's important to understand that you're not a child anymore. You're not a child that's vulnerable and in danger anymore. You can handle anything that happens to you. You know, even when someone is upset with you, you can handle that. It's okay. It's okay for people to be upset with you. And it's not your responsibility to guess or assume how someone else is feeling. It is their responsibility as an adult to communicate how they feel. And same goes for you.
0: So many wise words. Honestly, a few light bulb (laughs) moments through all of everything that you were saying there that I just think so many people will at home, like if you're listening to this right now, just like I am sat here in this seat thinking, wow, like some things I hadn't even considered Mm. that you are now bringing to light. I'm going, wow, I do do that. And like, Mm. maybe it is linked to all of these kinds of things. And it's, it's just so fascinating. And I think I learn a lot about myself from every single episode that I do with the Talk20s podcast, but I'm learning a lot about myself today. So (laughs) every day is a school day, everyone. (laughs) But one of the things I really would love to talk to you about um, is what cognitive distortions are. Like, it's not really a term that we throw around a lot, but Mm -hmm. I think when you start explaining a little bit more about kind of cognitive distortions, errors in thinking, people will start to go, oh yes, I I do do that too. So could you tell us a little bit more about some of the different types of of that?
1: Absolutely. So cognitive distortions, to put it simply, are errors in thinking. Mm -hmm. So basically it's a wrong way of thinking that makes you suffer. And there are 10 in total. Um, A few examples are, for instance, black and white thinking. So black and white thinking basically means you either see things as good or bad. I either succeed or fail. It's either this or that, you know? And this is a child's thinking. You know, when you watch cartoons, it's like, oh, the good guy and the bad guy, you know? And like, this is how children think. It's either good or bad. As an adult, you need to develop this complexity and to see nuances in people in different situations. Because no one is good or bad. No no situation is good or bad. It's always gray. There are always so many nuances to Mm -hmm. everything. Things are so complex. People are extremely complex. It's so simplistic and just out of touch with reality to say, oh, that person is good or that person is bad. Or oh, this was a success or this was a failure. And it's important to develop this complexity. Another cognitive distortion is overgeneralization. So saying things like, oh, all men are pigs, all women are gold diggers, you know, um, putting these labels on certain categories of people. Again, extremely simplistic and It's so detrimental to your relationships, because if you come with all these filters, because this is what cognitive distortions are, really, they're filters, mental filters, that don't allow you to see reality as it is. You know, it's like, if I have these preconceptions, these beliefs about how things are, you know, even when I meet a good guy or a good girl, I think... Yeah, but actually, you know, they're a guy, they must be like this. Or they're a girl, they must be like this. Because you had a previous experience in your childhood or, you know, you got cheated on once and now you think everyone is going to cheat on you, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And it just makes you suffer. Um, Another one is personalization. So, for instance, personalization is quite a little bit of a narcissistic trait. A lot of people have it, so don't worry if you have it. Most most of us do. Uh, you think what the other person says, what the other person does, it's about you. It has to do with you. Um, in psychology, we call this the spotlight effect. Like you think people are watching you or, you know, everyone cares about what you're doing when in reality no one gives an F about what you're doing. Everyone cares about their own business. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's important to realize people don't really care. Another one, another cognitive distortion is catastrophizing. So this is saying things like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed out about this exam because if I fail, I'm going to be kicked out of uni. And if I do this, I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to die. And like you catastrophize, you see the worst possible outcome in every situation. You're just giving yourself unnecessary anxiety. Some people say, oh no, I'm just preparing for, you know, like a plan B or the worst possible outcome uh, or I'm being realistic, but you're not being realistic. That's not being realistic. Realistic is seeing, yes, seeing what could go wrong and having a plan B, which is good, but also seeing what could go right and Kind of having that neutral energy and mindset when you go through things, knowing, okay, even if the worst things happen, like I can handle it and it's okay, but the best thing could happen. Uh, So, yeah, there are a bunch more. So many. There are so many things. They're really interesting. You can look them up online too, like the listeners that are interested in this, they can look them up online. It's it's a technique that a lot of psychologists use. It's really powerful. And you can apply it by, uh, for instance, journaling and just noticing, okay, when are they coming up? When, I, when am mm-hmm. I using a cognitive distortion? Like, for instance, am I overgeneralizing right now or am I catastrophizing and kind of questioning things as well? So when you're noticing that, for instance, I'm overgeneralizing, all men are a certain way, asking myself, are all men really like this? Could there be an exception? Do I know any men that are not like this? So kind of like having this little logical debate with yourself
0: could be really, really useful. Mm -hmm. I could absolutely see how that would be useful in so many scenarios. And I think, obviously, you mentioned journaling there. I think that's a really smart way not many people do it because obviously it's time consuming to like sit down and write down your thoughts and stuff mm. like that but like I have definitely I mean I have a journal it's not something I write in every single day it's more of like a sometimes it's a diary sometimes it's to get my thoughts down sometimes it's to kind of like feel all these things but I do it as and when appropriate and I think it's just nice for everyone to just have a piece mm-hmm. of a, a notebook that is just for that and it doesn't have to be something you do every day it's like free sometimes, therapy yeah literally sometimes I go weeks maybe even months without even writing in it but like when I do I feel so much more powerful and actually mm. what's really nice is to look back through over how I was feeling mm-hmm. a year ago or six months ago and even though it's just one exactly. snippet and one moment in time it's like wow that's how my brain was thinking at it's that moment so in time. Interesting. it's so interesting and you can so. be so
1: powerful as well mm-hmm. because a lot of times Things can be really messy in your head. You know, you have just a lot of running thoughts. You don't really understand them. Once you put them on paper, you can like kind of structure them. And once you read them, you're like, oh, gosh, this makes absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. You know, you can start questioning your thoughts, which is kind of becoming your own therapist. So that's why I always recommend
0: my clients, everyone to journal. Mm -hmm. It can be really powerful. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I think one of the things I've kind of thought from this episode is that, wow, like Francesca, you know so much you must have life all figured out and I think all of our listeners would you know we'd all think that you probably feel that way too but like I'm sure that there are some things that you do not have figured out um so is there anything that springs to mind when you're talking about like a, an adulting failure or something that's gone wrong in your life and actually maybe you could look at your psychology and go actually why on earth did I do that or like why did that situation happen mm. is there something that springs to mind in terms of like adulting failure that you could share with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> Glad to hear Abso- it. <laughs> absolutely not. And I'm able to make all of this psychological, relatable content because most of it, 90% of it is from my own experience and mm-hmm. my own life. So I've made all of this mistakes or You know, I've gone through all of these painful situations and I maybe found a solution that worked for myself, so I share it online. So, you know, I don't necessarily see things, anything as a failure or a success because I always can see how that thing, you know, had to happen. Of course. um, Because I learned something out of it or it made me the person I am today and so on. But I think a lesson that I had to learn when I left home, when I, when I went to uni more specifically, was kind of, um, to stop listening to other people's advice so much, especially my parents. Mm. And it can sound a bit crazy when I say it like, oh, stop listening to your parents or to other people, you know, maybe they can give you really good advice. But the thing is my whole life, I was kind of a people pleaser. And I kind of molded my personality based on what people expected me to be. Like, I always wanted to be the perfect golden child for my parents or the perfect student, you know, the perfect golden human being. Mm -hmm. And because of this, I was never kind of listening to who I am. And I never kind of developed my own opinions, preferences, you know, strong beliefs, a strong identity and personality. And I was really dependent on like my parents, for instance, I always, even when I went shopping, like I had to FaceTime my mom and ask her, oh, how does this look on me? Should I buy it or not? Like I couldn't even buy something without asking someone else for advice Mm -hmm. or, you know, in my relationships Anytime I would have a fight or I would not know what to do, like I would call someone, a friend, my mom, my dad, you know, Mm. and first of all, a lot of times the advice is so shit, like (laughs) they have good intentions, but a lot of people will, you know, first of all, don't ask people for advice that haven't achieved the thing you want to achieve. (laughs)
0: Great advice in itself. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people didn't have good relationships themselves and would give me advice or, you know, yeah. they would give me like career advice and they didn't have a, career, a good career or they weren't successful. I was like, why am I listening to them? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: but even if the advice is good, it's really important that you actually start making your own mistakes and you start making your own decisions I feel like in your early 20s, you kind of start becoming an adult, you're a young adult, and you start forming your personality. Um, And it's important that you start making your own decisions and you take responsibility for what you do as well. Because a lot of it for me was because I, I was always asking for advice or opinions because I couldn't really like take responsibility For if something went wrong. And it was learning to take responsibility for my life, for what's going on in my life, for my mistakes. And it gave me so much self confidence. It gives you this confidence that I can handle things on my own and I can handle anything that happens. And even if something goes wrong or I make a mistake, I'll be able to handle it. You know, I don't need my mom or my dad or someone else to to be here for me and that makes you really confident so I think that would be a big lesson that I learned Mm -hmm. and that I recommend people to kind of start doing people that are in were in my position or are in the position I was in uh, where they are maybe people pleasers or they don't really have a really strong personality or
0: self-center and they're kind of moldable and flexible. Mm Absolutely. Francesca, I have absolutely loved this episode. There have been so many light bulb moments for me. And I'm sure anyone listening to this, if you're listening on YouTube or Spotify, like send us a message or comment below and tell us the moment that you thought, ah, that's me, like totally guilty. Cause I think this is one of those things that like you probably because it's all about internal feelings and all about mm. how we're feeling, you can feel quite alone in this. You can feel like this is the only you're the only person to have ever felt this way. And <sighs> believe believe me, you would not be sat there if you were you're the only not person. alone. No, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. So please share below. I felt this in my twenties. I felt like this before because it really helps us create more content like this. And thank you so much for coming into the studio and recording this podcast with us. You have been an absolutely incredible guest honestly I love this episode so much thank
1: you so much it was such a
0: pleasure and it was so nice you're such a good host as well thank you (laughs) too kind too kind Um, but the one thing that we always end the podcast with is we always ask the same question to every single one of our guests and it's if you could look back to 20 year old Francesca and give her just one piece of advice that would see her through her 20s what would you want to say to her so
1: if I would go back um to my to the version of Myself, when I was 20, I would say, just relax and stop stressing out about the future. Mm-hmm. Even if you go through really painful things, because I did went, go through certain things that made me feel like I was going to die. Yeah, You're not going to die. You're going to be okay. You will be a- able to handle any situation that comes your way. You'll be okay. Stop stressing out. Everything is going to work out. You're okay
0: amazing advice. I think every single person in their 20s needs to hear that. Thank you, Francesca. Thank
1: you so much for having me.